Hi, I'm Naomi Castro, and this is the Castro Pod. This season, I talk with newbies, nonprofit and college leaders who are new to their job, transitions, metamorphosis, growing into a new job, and, you know, hey, let's throw in a pandemic too. Since the first season, we have been through it. Mask mandates, social distancing, and we are washing our hands like crazy. There are some meaty issues on the table, and I brought a knife. I met Dr. Eric Bishop in East LA, and he invited me to come visit his college where he was a vice president. So I did. He was a gracious host. I spent the day in a working meeting focused on supporting adults in poverty getting a college credential. Dr. Bishop knows how to empower his team to get things done, and that is one of the best qualities in a higher ed leader. He is now president of Ohlone College. Dr. Bishop, I'm a president, President Bishop. It is so fun to say that. <laughs> I'm still getting used to it myself. So thank yeah. you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Today is the 30th of December in what has turned out to be the craziest year uh, I could never have imagined. I don't think anyone could have imagined this. Um, maybe some science fiction writers. Um, and uh, I, I'm here with uh, Dr. Bishop, and you became president of Ohlone College in July. In in the pandemic, you became president of a of a college. Um, <laughs> what 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 was that? What huh? What, how do you do that? <laughs> Well, it was really an interesting journey because uh, COVID was happening when the process started in February, but we were right in the midst of the interview process when the state issued the stay in place order for the six northern counties. And so we had scheduled interviews and I got a call saying, well, you can fly or drive because the airlines were shutting down. And if you drive, you know, we'll reimburse your mileage and, or you can choose to do zoom. And so we had the option. And then I said, there's no way I can think about interviewing for a presidency and saying, I'm afraid to come up to your college. Mm -hmm. That just didn't sit right with me. So I, I said, I'm going to drive up. And then the next morning I got a call that said, Nope, everybody's doing zoom. Uh, so my entire interview process was Zoom because it was in March. And to that fact, because of COVID, I didn't see the the college or the campus until two months after I accepted the job. So I didn't even know where I was coming other than what I could see on the internet and the pictures. Wow. That's so wild. Just that, process, just that process was crazy. And then starting, you know, in mid, in mid July, really was uh, a white knuckle ride. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all the meet and greets. <laughs> meet and greets. I mean, I've maybe seen 20 staff members, faculty and staff in person, most of them either going through a screening station or just happening happenstance on campus trying to stay a, a distance away i i do go to count to campus every day because for me being a new president there's a couple a couple things one is i really need to feel like i'm part of the college and and i couldn't imagine doing that from my house or from home and so it's easier now to work from home on some days but i still go to the work because that's where the college is and, and as president i want to see the college 
that I'm trying to be president of, not to mention the fact that I haven't met my faculty and staff for the most part, and they don't know me. And so, you know, we came in, there's a group of us who came in, but, you know, you talk about kind of this time coming in, it's not just the pandemic, it's because of the pandemic, the economic crisis that the state has hit and trying to deal with that. And Ohlone was one that had, you know, budget issues because of uh, the student success funding formula. So there was a challenge there. And then I walked right in after I got the job and accepted the job. But before I started, the George Floyd piece came to light. And so then the call for social justice and, and you know racial justice uh, emerged and it emerged as a as a main threshold and a main topic. So I, I walked into what I, I called the big three, COVID, uh, an economic crisis, and a call for racial justice. Wow. This is a, what, what's the, the proverb, may you live in interesting times? These are interesting times. So um, th- this is this is fantastic. So I I I'm focusing this um, season on transitions, right? And so you just mentioned three um, monumental, you know, defining moments um, and things that are the issues that are 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 creating all these transitions. Um, but you also are are new to the presidency. So not only are you, did you come to the presidency during. Uh, shelter in place, your interviews got all weird. I mean, you know, not weird, just switched modalities um, unexpectedly. Um, the the summer, it, our country exploded um, uh, because we all saw George, George Floyd murdered on television um, or on the internet. And um, yeah, and, and then our economy was flipping out. So, so how did you, but, but, but you were preparing for, you were, I, I'm assuming you were looking for a presidency before any of that happened. So, so how did you, how did you prepare for, for looking for a presidency and, um, and did any of those preparations kind of help you with, with all the, 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 the three issues that you just named? Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting question. Technically, I wasn't looking for a presidency when Ohlone came up, but I think I was I have been preparing for a presidency for a number of years. Um, I have a my former president, Dr. Henry Shannon, really uh, said to me, "You'll be a president. And you're going to be a good president, and at some point, you need to start looking at presidencies." And really put me in positions to be ready when the time came. It was happenstance that I met the consultant who was leading the Ohlone search and we we were chit-chatting and she had known me from a previous engagement and said, I think you'd be a good match and fit. I So I actually wasn't looking and I went home and, and said to my wife, I said, hmm, there's this opening that could fit, you know, and the college looks like something that would uh, match my values and and be a fit, but it's in Northern California. And I don't do any move without talking to my spouse because it's not even worth going through the process if the answer is I'm not moving. So she said, go ahead and, you know, go ahead and go. It really was, uh, my preparation began, I think, years before uh, the actual application process being put in places and in spaces and given opportunities to see how presidencies operate, to walk with my president, to work with board members, 
to you know work with legislative engagement to work with our our chief business officer officer and understand how finances work and how the budget's prepared and and to to let my colleagues let have my colleagues let me tag along to learn their sides of the house not with the intent of being a president but more in all honesty to understand how my job as as vice president of student services impacted their jobs how we could better collaborate collaborate how we could better knock down silos so that anytime i was looking at doing something i consulted with my colleagues in technology in budgeting saying what's the impact on you so it became a very global experience but i was rewarded with them explaining how their thought process worked so i think that preparation helps me as you know think about it from a presidency to look at the global picture of each decision how it impacts instruction and academics and student services and technology and business and and foundation so that we can look globally it was that preparation which you know went on for a few years i think was what really set me um set me aside and got me ready to take on and not just to take on a presidency but to take on a presidency in this time and you were so um, you were vice president of student services at Chafee College for a number of years. You were also at your time at Chafee, you were dean of like everything. Uh, you had a number of different deanships, um, but then also um, I, I believe, and, and please correct me if this is if this is wrong, that you were also involved in government relations in your vice yes. presidency role, which I which I I think is not um, not a configuration that you see a lot of. And and I, I was really struck. I don't I'm, I don't know if you know uh, Marvin Martinez. He's uh, chancellor of um, uh, oh my gosh, I'm just going to forget it now. He was president at um, East LA College and okay. he's a chancellor in uh, at Rancho Santiago um, uh, district. And and he was saying that over the years, the executive leadership has really cha- one of the ways it's dramatically changed is by being more involved in legislative issues. So can, can you speak to that? Yeah, so my, my official title when I left Chafee was Associate Superintendent of Student Services and Legislative Engagement, which as you said, is a very unique pairing and a very unique title. But part of that was our uh, legislative officer left the college and I've always loved uh, politics and, and government and, and was actually involved, as you talked about, I was dean of our Fontana campus. So I was heavily involved with our chamber of commerce, our city council, our mayor, like doing the, that kind of work. So it was a nice pairing for me personally. It's a very un- very unique and unusual pairing, but because of my interest in government relations and, and partnering and really seeing how that played together, the timing also worked in that we were looking at a couple new items for Chafee. We were going out for a bond, um, Measure P. So that background helped me work with our cities and help work the college prepare for that. We were moving into district-based elections. So just that was very interesting to me. And I do think that that helped, that also helped me help prepare me because of the advocacy work that we need to do. It's, It's a really interesting uh, point you bring up about us having to be more legislatively involved. You know, the interesting thing about the California Community Colleges is we are the the one of the, the only of the three branches that are not governed by a board of governors. 
um, we are governed by the legislature itself, as you know, Title V. And, and so our rules are written into law, which means that any anytime we want to change something, we have to go to the highest authority in the state, which means we have to have some sense of a background. The thing we don't do well is lobby. And we really, as a, as a group, we rely on the chancellor to be our lobbyists in some respects and our board of governors to be our lobbyists, but we don't take that ownership on our own. And so it gets very difficult for us to move the needle or make systemic change because everything we're governed by is, is a law written by the, you know, written by the state. We're not governed by rules or policies. We're governed by laws. And so I do think that background was very helpful, but it's an interest of mine. I mean, I love politics. I love predicting politics. You know, that would be, uh, you know, I always joke that I had two dream jobs other than higher education. One was to be the uh, executive director of the women, U.S. Women, U.S. national gymnastics team. Uh, so I could uh, fix what's going on with that team. The other would have been to be the chairman of the Democratic National Convention uh, and take Tom Perez's job. So it's a natural interest for me. Um, I also think the other piece that tied really well, if you really look at the state right now, you're seeing a lot more vice presidents of student services uh, become presidents. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. And I was joking with some colleagues about that. And, and it's a little tongue in cheek, so it's not meant to offend anyone, but it really is, you know, one, student services is where you see the diversity and the equity. And as we move into this realm, that's the work that student service uh, executives do. And two, you talk about people who have had to juggle budgets and categorical funds and figure these things out. It's such a complex nature that to master student services helps you master a college where we have to, the hole we have to fill is that instruction, understanding, and knowledge. And that used to be a, um, you know, a barrier against us. But I think now more of us are teaching, more of us are getting in those roles, more of us are working with faculty senate so that we can bridge that gap in a different way. So that legislative and student services role, I do think could do come together to some degree because we're also charged with making sure our students are government, you know, citizens of the government that they're registered to vote, that they're, they're engaged. When we're fighting with DACA, it's, it's this side of the house that's fighting for our DACA students and, and working sure and making sure that access. So the pairing is unusual, but they also, I think, go, can go together. Well, it does seem that um, back, and I'm dating myself just a little bit, but um, uh, when we go back to SSSP, um, and I'll put the, all the acronyms in the show notes uh, for folks, but that was... Um, a move, I mean, before that, um, we were, our system was primarily funded on enrollments. And that move um, basically uh, started funding more of the support services um, explicitly and, and basically said, yeah, yeah, the counseling appointment, the support services that students get play a direct role in their success. And so we're going to fund it and we're going to incentivize colleges to, you know, to, to, to make sure that every student gets an ed plan to make, you know, all those kinds of things. And I think that for me was kind of a, a shift in the um, acknowledgement of the importance of support services. 
It absolutely was. And I think it was the beginning um, or the baby step towards where we're at now with the students uh, centered funding formula in that there was accountability with making sure students knew their path and had a plan coming into college, which was the reason for the student success and support program that students would have an ed plan and they would have it at the beginning. I think one of the challenges we faced is we have very short attention spans and very, uh, we want that instant gratification that exists in our society. We want to sit in education and, and there's this kind of oxymoron in what we do and that we create these, these plans. I won't even call them initiatives, these plans, these directions, these focus, but we don't give them time to germinate because we don't see the results. So anytime we're looking at data from a, from a college perspective, everything is longitudinal. So everything is six years. So the things we do now, we don't even know for six years what the outcomes are. And I believe we can do it, but this, we've become so in, uh, okay with that's the way we do it that we accept that we won't know. And so the, Triple SP came into place in 2012-2014. We're just six years out from that being in place, and we've already flipped it and turned to the student success funding formula. So we don't even know, based on the way we look at data, we don't even know what its impact was. But we've already turned to the next, the next shiny thing or the next big thing. And that's not to say that what we move to isn't better. There are lots of questions about the equity of the SCFF and how it's impacted a number of colleges, particularly those like Ohlone who are in, you know, high rent, high, um, high, li high living, cost of living areas. It, it's really hurt us, but the goal is about equity, but we need to give it time to figure out how it's going to work before we move to the next thing, or we need to change the way we look at data and stop looking at data in a longitudinal sense and counting six years as the threshold of change. And I think it's okay for us to have expectations that we change quickly. Um, but so we kind of turn on the, on the dime in some respects, but then haven't even flushed out whether something works or not before we make the change. Yeah. This is the paradox of reform in, uh, College, yeah. I, I'm actually I'm going to pivot to to another uh, question. Um, and uh, for anyone listening, you know, we got a little a little bit into the details of community college world, which is who I think most of my listeners are. Um, but I have uh, had some folks um, uh, reach out to me who, like, you know, my relatives, right, <laughs> my sister-in-law, um, who. Uh, are not involved in all this kind of detail, but, but really enjoy uh, these conversations um, and, and these ideas of, of, of leadership and what it takes. Um, and, and so in the focus on transitions, I, I'm the first half of the season, I'm talking to folks who are new to their positions, presidents and vice presidents. Um, but then I'm also going to be interviewing um, some folks who are recently retired or um, about who have announced their retirement and and I'm wondering what what do you think I should ask them? What what do you want to know? 
I think that's a really good question. I think a, a couple questions I, for them would be given, well, given where we're at now, would you do it all over again? Right. Do you, do they see that it's going to be, it's easier to step into this role now, or is it something they'd say, I don't want to do this anymore. The pressures are different. And how has the pressure changed? Something as a newbie, I, I'd love to know is what's different now than what was different, you know, well, depending on their retirement, you want to say 30 years ago, but the reality is, you know, if the average life of a presidency is three years, you know, what's different 10 years, what difference has 10 years made that would make you either want to do it again or start right now or say, no, I want no parts. I'm getting out while I can. Yeah. What now you mentioned, you mentioned your, um, uh, past president, um, at Chafee really, you know, and, and colleagues kind of bringing you along, but like in this, in this idea of looking to, to folks who've kind of walked this journey before us, do, do you have any, do you have a particular mentor? Do you have a network of mentors? I, I have a network actually. It's, it's really, so Dr. Shannon is certainly a mentor um, and I can call him and do anything. And he's really prepped me. And, and ironically, we walked in Chafee the same month. So we kind of began that journey together in 2007, right as their first recession was happening. So he is certainly a mentor. He's guided me and I can call him anytime. I called him a uh, month after I took the job and said, this is hard, but I want you to know I'm built for this and that you've helped me be built for this. I also have a, a, an official mentor in Sonny Cook, who's the superintendent president at Maricosta College, and she is fantastic. She's, I've been able to vet things with her and call her, and she's pulled me off the ledge more than once and follows up with me at times. I think the hardest thing for new presidents in these transition periods is to not overreact and not underreact and, and try to figure out where should I be in whatever is going on or whatever is happening. And that's where the mentorship comes in and having that person you can say, this is what happened. Is this normal or should I be taking a different path? We've also created, we have a network of new presidents who uh, so the League California Community College, the, the Community College League of California has created a first year program um, or a program for first year presidents. And of that group, there's a small group of us who have created a mentor kind of peer mentor group to help each other walk through and be able to call on each other and, and say, hey, is this this is what I'm saying? Is that what you're saying? Knowing that we're all kind of in this in this road together. There's a, you know, Naomi, there's a really interesting uh, dynamic that I have in it. And it might sound more arrogant than I mean it. So, but because of my preparation, because of my mentors, because of Dr. Shannon, I really feel like I was ready when I took it over. And so I feel there are times where I don't feel like I get rattled as easily as I might have. Uh, previously or having taken a different path. So I feel like I know the answers, which I have to make sure I remember that I don't know the answers. And so I don't walk into a hornet's nest because I haven't done the job before, but I feel really comfortable with where I'm at and what we're doing in this transition time. But working with others who 
are in the same boat and staying in contact with them has been really, really valuable because we're all kind of in this, not just first year presence, but first year presence in a pandemic, in a in an equity mindset, in a social justice reform. So that's a really good place for us to be. I, you're actually the second uh, person who's mentioned that particular first year group uh, that the league puts together. Um, I don't know if you know uh, Jack Kahn from Palomar College. I don't. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I would very much encourage. He's also going to be in this season. I encourage you to uh, to, to to meet him. Um, we can all hang out. We, we'll all go to uh, to your Southern California home when this is all over, and we can have a, a champagne brunch or something. Um, but uh, but he he spoke very highly of that that program as well. Um, Palomar, you know, Southern California, so he's very near mm-hmm. Dr. Cook. And uh, I've actually known Jack Kahn for, I think, about 35 years. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We knew each other like we were teenagers that hung out together <laughs> with a big group of friends. I would say you would have to for 35 years. You'd have to have known him as a child. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> but yeah, that was that, that was really, I, I, I especially appreciate that kind of reflection about how, you know, a few years ago, I would have reacted this way. And now I just don't. I react in this much more productive way. Um, I, th- that's something that comes up for me a lot. And I think it's, it's helpful to kind of mark our progress in our ability to deal with situations. Um, one thing, it's not actually on the official question list. It should be though, because at the top of my mind, always, as I move into new positions, um, uh, you know, I work for a wonderful nonprofit, Career Ladders Project, um, is, uh, is, is time management. And looking at that reflection, that reflective piece, you know, I'm so much better at it than I used to be, <laughs> and especially the stress that might come with it. So giving yourself, when you have a big to-do list, you know, that that getting the stress of thinking about that, the anxiety of thinking about that can be much more damaging than actually just doing the list, you know, working through it. But I mean, do you have any magic secrets or do any of your mentors have any secrets about uh, or life hacks for for managing all these different responsibilities and no <laughs> I, I'm still trying to figure it out uh, I had a president tell me once that uh, this was a number of years ago that being a president's actually easier than being a vice president um, because when you're president it's your vice president who is supposed to be doing the work and you're really kind of over, you're shepherding all the big decisions. And I can see some some truth in that, but that's also not my style. And what's really interesting about the question right now is I don't know that we've ever been more ripe or in a position where change has been more accepted and, and, there's been a greater time to produce change in our system. And in order to produce that change, we have to work hard and you can't sit by and let, uh, and think you just are going to delegate. You have to be in a position where you're willing to roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty and say, I'm in this with you and we're going to make this change because it improves the lives of our students. So that said, that can make, that can be a challenge. And the pandemic, time management piece is really uh, a whole different ball game because 
we the one difference as a presidency is I'm not out and about getting to meet the community probably as much as I would be if we were face to face and on the ground. I am still doing it virtually, but I think there's less time, less of my time is being pulled in that direction as it will be in the future. You know, presidents have to be both interior and exterior ambassadors. And so that, that space of working the community I've been, we've been really fortunate in this time that there's less of that. Um, I've gotten the rotaries and chambers of commerce and meetings and meeting the communities, but it's not as demanding as it will be, which has given me more time to focus on campus. But the ironic, the irony is what you probably have learned and we've all learned is that with the Zoom culture, there is no time to actually do the work. There's no time to clear your brain. So I, I realized early on when we were in the pandemic that meetings were scheduled for an hour and they went for an hour and you clicked off one meeting and into another that would go an hour. And, the, and when we're on the ground and you're having a meeting, you may have time that you walk from one room to another or to one building to another or you're, you have someone in your office and you get up to escort them out. or So there is a change in setting and a change in dynamic that exists that doesn't exist in the Zoom world. So the, the pace and the meaning pressure is far more intense now because people want every second of your time. And so in terms of time management, we have to really, and, and I have a really good set of assistants who work very hard to protect my time. I'm not real good at helping them do that but to make sure you have time to do, to actually do the work, to write, to prepare, uh, prepare for board meetings, to respond to the community, to respond to whatever comes your way. And if you're not careful, you could wind up in six hours of Zoom meetings back to back to back all day. And so that's a place that we have to be really mindful of in terms of time management. And then I think the piece for me is it's a, it's, there's a, level of guilt with it that I try to give myself some time in the evenings to do nothing. And there, you know, there are days of hit and miss some days I'm working on things, particularly as a board meetings coming up, I might be working late into the evening and other days I just might be watching a football game or just watching some TV to kind of have that downtime and that relax space. But it, it's a very conscious uh, decision that you have to do. We talk, we get lectured all the time about self-care and self, uh, um, you know, taking care of ourselves. And it's, it's an intentional effort. That, that's been one of the, in, in this transition, that's been one of my mantras with my college is we're in an unprecedented time. I, your physical health, your mental health, your stress levels are all important. And how do we create it so that we're not just running people into the ground because we can, and it's in this new format. And so really creating spaces for mental health, uh, not just for students, certainly for students, but also for our faculty who are teaching in a brand new environment that they weren't trained for many of them. And for our staff who are working in environments that they weren't trained for. Um, and at the same time, thinking about how much of this is a new way that we're going to have to do business and and yet keep people healthy and and make sure they manage their time 
And I think I've found that people are much more, uh, I don't know if more, but people are um, overtly generous and forgiving. You know, if folks show up and they're like, they got the crazy bun on their head and they don't have their lipstick on, it's fine. Or if somebody's like, I'm so sorry, my dog is barking or my kid or a kid walks by or something. People are like, no, 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 that's normal. You're in your house. (laughs) You have other human beings that live in your house or you have animals there and it's actually great. <laughs> like, I'm glad your kid just came in and gave you a kiss. That's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> I've been very forgiving with that and try it because you see the stress in people's faces when that happens, right? They kind of, particularly if they feel like they're on the phone with the president and, and they do it. I'm usually, I'm like, hey, how you doing? Like waving, talking to the kid. The, the one thing I think though, that I, I'm trying to be very cautious of uh, for myself and particularly the managers, um, is to not let that become uh, allow us to become complacent at the same time. Um, I think we should still be uh, dressed for work or present ourselves as representatives of the college and representatives of the positions we hold. Um, you know, clearly if it's just from the waist up, right. But, but, <laughs> You know, that because you're working from home doesn't mean that you can just not comb your hair and not, you know, throw anything on. That there still is this this representation that we have to carry. You know, I was waiting when you when we were beginning, it's like, how am I I said, I need to dress like a president this morning, right? And so people aren't seeing this. They're only hearing it. So I will describe okay. you were wearing a lovely, a gray suit with a very nice tie. The knot is perfect, a white button up. And you have like this super cool uh, headset that's like a Star Trek kind of thing. <laughs> and I wasn't sure because it was Zoom. I said, you know, I need to be prepared for anything. And I think that's part of the nature of this leadership piece is you need to be prepared for anything, right? Because you don't know. You may say, oh, I'm going to now do Zoom podcasts instead of audio podcast right and so I, I didn't know and so I'm like otherwise I would have been in my t-shirt <laughs> but you know I because I am on break but uh I would you know so yeah so but things like that I think are are we have to still remain maintain our leadership well it just it also helps with that transition you were talking about so just like there's that transition where you would walk from one meeting to the next or walk to your you know classroom or something like that it kind of helps like okay it's I'm transitioning into work mode, even though I'm just going to the other room. So I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to, what, what, what top am I wearing today? <laughs> it's, it's funny because I, because I told you I go to campus most days. Um, we have, a, we, we try, experiment with a student study center in our library uh, this semester to give students a place where they could come have quiet, have uh, sturdy Wi-Fi and and be safe it's it's completely social distance we've had no um, bad cases but i was walking i walked in a few weeks ago and i was talking to the check-in staff and they said well you're always dressed up and i'm like well no i was wearing a suit and they said you're always in a suit and i said no i rarely i never this is the first day i've worn a suit because you don't see the whole suit but i realized that that was kind of the the reception i wanted because i'm your president and you need to see me as your president and you need, when I'm in meetings, I want you to understand that I take this seriously. 
I think one of the things you just said that's so true is for me, it's a mindset. When I go to campus, I am at work. And so I am thinking like a president, acting like a president. It's easy for me to get distracted at home or easier to get distracted at home and find other things to do than when I'm there and thinking I'm in, I'm in the president's chair and I need to be representative. And to take just a little segue on that as well. I mean, we uh, a few years back, oh, I don't remember how many, there was a viral video of um, kids in kind of a, a, a low income, high minority community, a black and brown community, um, getting off the school bus. It was the first day of school and the principal really wanted to uh, shake it up and really wanted to have a positive first day and, and get kids really excited and also realized, you know, that there was a, a distinct lack of um, uh, professional, maybe uh, would be the right word, role models of black and brown men. And so he reached out to the community, had all these dudes show up, dads, uncles, grandpas, you know, um, uh, wearing their professional gear. And so that might be a firefighter. It might be um, a, a doctor. It might be a lawyer. Oh, excuse me. My dog is barking. Um, I'm going to pick her up. <laughs> and uh, so uh, and, and then they just showed up and they and they just cheered on these kids going to school, you know, like happy first day. This is fantastic. We're so glad you're here. And, you know, for I guess for anyone who is not, uh, you know, who, who isn't familiar with you, you are a black man. You are a doctor. You are wearing a suit. You are a president of a college. Like all of that is really cool. <laughs> It is. And, and, but you know, at the same time, I think that that's also something that weighs in my mind because everything you just said is so true, but I also have to worry about because I am a black man, how are people going to receive me? Do I need to make sure that they see me as president then rather than just understanding me as president? I'm Maloney's first black president and I'm in a community that's not you know, a minority community. Um, it's a, it's a minority majority community, but not of uh, African American or Latinx. It's um, Asian and Southeast Asian um, communities. So, you know, I'm very cog- cognizant and conscious of that first appearance space and that representation space of judgment. You know. I want people to see me as who I am, but I want them to respect me as president. And, and that's a fine line to walk. And, uh, and as I've talked to my colleagues who are in the same boat, that's one of the spaces we talk about is when we walk in, we're still president and we don't want to give anyone a reason to discount our presidency. And at the same time, I mean, this is me editorializing at how, like how cool that is. Right. And, and I love, you know, I love seeing, um, any kind of um, time, like a stereotype is is shattered, right? So if the stereotype is when you first, you know, you ask a teenager, what do you think of when you think of a black man and, they, you know, and whatever they yeah. think of, and then they see something, a, a person who's dressed completely differently or, or whatever, it, regardless of what that is, it's, it's cool, right? Because it shakes up our, our, our notions. Um, at the same time, gosh, isn't it a bummer? Like, wouldn't it be cool to be able to show up to work like, hey, it's 
you know, Ohlone Pride Friday and just wear your t-shirt and just like, and it's just normal and nobody thinks anything, anyone who's never met you before doesn't think that you might not be the president. You right. know? Yeah. We'll get there. I hope. I hope so too. Yeah. Um, um, I am going to switch again. Uh, I need to work on my transitions. We have You're some fine. rapid fire questions. Okay. I love these questions. And if we end up talking about them, great. And if not, don't worry. Just don't think about it too much. Favorite flavor of hot sauce or favorite brand? Uh, favorite brand? Uh, Red Rooster. I have never heard of Red Rooster. Oh. <laughs> okay. Red Rooster is Louisiana hot sauce. Really? And so it's not sriracha, it's not Tabasco, it's not Tapatio, it is Louisiana brand hot sauce. Okay, so now I'm a little embarrassed. I was born in Covington, Louisiana. Half my family lives there. I know I don't sound like it, but I'm ha- I grew up half Louisiana, half California. Oh my gosh. Okay. So that's there we go. I got to get that one now. Um what band or musician do you never get tired of? Uh Vanessa Williams and Janet Jackson. Mm, nice. um, what is the most underrated dessert? Vanilla ice cream. Do you doll it up? Uh, I can. I don't have to. I can just have vanilla ice cream. Uh, I love it with cookies uh, or something crunchy in it. But I think, you know... Sometimes you go to ice cream. Now, you know, every ice cream shop now is fancy with they fold everything in. And sometimes I think as an underrated flavor, vanilla ice cream is just it stands alone. You can doll it up, but you don't have to doll it up. (laughs) Great, great, great. That is the spirit of this question. Um, And what is the best one hundred dollars you ever spent? So I spent more than one hundred dollars, but the Napa Rose restaurant um at uh the grand californian at disneyland is a five-star restaurant and it is it's the only five-star restaurant i've ever been at but it is worth every penny that i've you know in between the food the quality the service uh, so the best multiple hundred dollars i've ever spent (laughs) 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 would be there do you do you remember? Do you have a particular dish that you would recommend? No, I haven't been in a, in actually a number of years, and I, I'd love to go back. Uh, no, everything. I mean, I st- their steak and frites was. I mean, just everything and and their seafood. Uh, I think I think that's where I had my first uh, Chilean sea bass, and I'm not. And the reason that's significant is I'm not a big seafood eater, so. It was, it made me okay with fish other than fried fish. Wow. So no sushi for you. <laughs> oh, I love, actually I do like sushi. Um, I'm, I'm growing in my seafood. I'm still very linear. Uh, so, you know, I grew up on fried catfish. So that's, my mom's from the South. So that was the norm. I've, I, in college or post-college, I started eating sushi a little bit and got into it, but I'm very simple. I don't, I'm still not wild on a whole lot of different fish. So I, I kind of keep it straight and I will now try, I, I've, I've branched out to some mahi-mahi. I'm still not a big salmon fan. I don't like salmon. I don't uh, like salmon either. Uh, ironically, people look at me and they're like, how do you not like salmon? Like I, 
don't like salmon. I, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you, and yeah, and also Louisiana cat fried catfish. That's my, my yes. go to fish, but yeah, but but Southern California sushi gal definitely. Yes. Um, so I think and, when they say more fish in the diet, I don't think they mean the fried the <laughs> the fried catfish. Though. No, 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 no. I don't think so. I don't think my my doctor would not recommend probably uh, too much, too much of it. Um, as we come to a close. Is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't? No, I think you hit everything. Um, you, you know, I, I love that you're doing this and I love your focusing on transitions. And, and I looked at your season one and I thought you, you have a number of, going back to an earlier question, a number of people who are uh, probably unofficial mentors, but who are role models for me with uh, Dr. Shabazz and, and Dr. Curry are people who I reach out to. And so I just thank you for, for doing this and, and giving this space. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Um, Dr. Bishop, uh, President Bishop, this has been really, really fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. And the best wishes. The hardest thing for a new president, according to Dr. Bishop, is to not overreact or underreact. A mentor can help you find that balance. And you should eat more fish. All the organizations and acronyms Dr. Bishop mentioned will be linked in the show notes. So it turns out that a lot of folks have been using the interviews in season one in their papers. That is pretty cool. But believe it or not, a podcast does not have the same weight in a list of references as, you know, like a book. So some of you reached out to me and asked about citations and shared some of your frustrations. Well, I got you covered. You can get the entire transcripts of season one in book format. The link is on the Castropod webpage and you can find the book on Amazon. This season, I interviewed leaders new to their executive leadership roles, but I've got a list going of folks who've retired or who are about to retire, and I want to talk to them. If you have someone I should add to that list, at me on Twitter at Naomi Castro, P-R-O-F. <laughs>